Chapter Twenty of Clotel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clotel by William Wells Brown. Chapter Twenty. A True Democrat. Who can with patience for a moment see the medley mass of pride and misery, of whips and charters, manacles and rights, of slaving blacks and democratic whites? and all the piebald policy that reigns and free confusion o'er columbia's plains to think that man thou just and gentle god should stand before thee with a tyrant's rod or creatures like himself with souls from thee yet dare to boast of perfect liberty thomas moore educated in a free state and marrying a wife who had been a victim to the institution of slavery henry morton became strongly opposed to the system his two daughters, at the age of twelve years, were sent to the North to finish their education, and to receive that refinement that young ladies cannot obtain in the slave states. Although he did not publicly advocate the abolition of slavery, he often made himself obnoxious to private circles, owing to the denunciatory manner in which he condemned the peculiar institution. Being one evening at a party, and hearing one of the company talking loudly of the glory and freedom of American institutions, he gave it as his opinion that unless slavery was speedily abolished, it would be the ruin of the Union. It is not our boast of freedom, said he, that will cause us to be respected abroad. It is not our loud talk in the favor of liberty that will cause us to be regarded as friends of human freedom, but our acts will be scrutinized by the people of other countries. We say much against European despotism. Let us look to ourselves. That government is despotic where the rulers govern subjects by their own mere will, by decrees and laws emanating from their uncontrolled will in the enactment and execution of which the ruled have no voice, and under which they have no right except at the will of the rulers. Despotism does not depend upon the number of the rulers or the number of the subjects. It may have one ruler or many. Rome was a despotism under Nero. So she was under the triumvirate. Athens was a despotism under thirty tyrants, under her four hundred tyrants, under her three thousand tyrants. It has been generally observed that despotism increases in severity with the number of despots. The responsibility is more divided and the claims more numerous. The triumvirs each demanded his victims. The smaller the number of subjects in proportion to the tyrants, the more cruel the oppression, because the less dangerous from rebellion. In this government the free white citizens are the rulers, the sovereigns, as we delight to be called, all others of subjects. There are, perhaps, some sixteen or seventeen million of sovereigns, and four million of subjects. The rulers and the ruled are of all colors, from the clear white of the Caucasian tribes to the swarthy Ethiopian. The former, by courtesy, are all called white, the latter black. In this government the subject has no rights, social, political, or personal. He has no voice in the laws which govern him. He can hold no property. His very wife and children are not his. His labor is another's. He and all that appertain to him are the absolute property of his rulers. He is governed, bought, sold, punished, executed, by laws to which he never gave his assent, and by rulers whom he never chose. He is not a serf merely with half the rights of men, like the subjects of despotic Russia, but a native slave, stripped of every right which God and nature gave him, 
and which the high spirit of our revolution declared inalienable, which he himself could not surrender, and which man could not take from him. Is he not then the subject of despotic sway? The slaves of Athens and Rome were free in comparison. They had some rights, could acquire some property, could choose their own masters and purchase their own freedom, and, when free, could rise in social and political life. The slaves of America, then, lie under the most absolute and grinding despotism that the world ever saw. But who are the despots? The rulers of the country, the sovereign people. Not merely the slaveholder who cracks the lash. He is but the instrument in the hands of despotism. That despotism is the government of the slave states, and the United States, consisting of all its rulers, all the free citizens. Do not look upon this as a paradox, because you and I and the sixteen million of rulers are free. The rulers of every despotism are free. Nicholas of Russia is free. The Grand Sultan of Turkey is free. The Butcher of Austria is free. Augustus, Anthony, and Lepidus were free, while they drenched Rome in blood. The thirty tyrants, the four hundred, the three thousand, were free while they bound their countrymen in chains. You and I and the sixteen millions are free, while we fasten iron chains and rivet manacles on four millions of our fellow men, take their wives and children from them, separate them, sell them, and doom them to perpetual eternal bondage. Are we then not despots, despots such as history will brand and God abhor? We, as individuals, are fast losing our reputation for honest dealing. Our nation is losing its character. The loss of a firm national character, or the degradation of a nation's honor, is the inevitable prelude to her destruction. Behold the once proud fabric of a Roman Empire, an empire carrying its arts and arms into every part of the eastern continent. The monarchs of mighty kingdoms, dragged at the wheels of her triumphal chariots, her eagle waving over the ruins of desolated countries. Where is her splendor, her wealth, her power, her glory? Extinguished forever, her moldering temples, the mournful vestiges of her former grandeur, affording a shelter to her muttering monks. Where are her statesmen, her sages, her philosophers, her orators, generals? Go to their solitary tombs and inquire. She lost her national character, and her destruction followed. The ramparts of her national pride were broken down, and vandalism desolated her classic fields. Then let the people of our country take warning ere it is too late. But most of us say to ourselves, Who questions the right of mankind to be free? Yet what are the rights of the negro to me? I'm well fed and clothed, I have plenty of pelf. I'll care for the blacks when I turn black myself. New Orleans is doubtless the most immoral place in the United States. The theaters are open on the Sabbath. Bullfights, horse racing, and other cruel amusements are carried on in this city to an extent unknown in any other part of the Union. The most stringent laws have been passed in that city against Negroes. Yet a few years since, the state legislature passed a special act to enable a white man to marry a colored woman on account of her being possessed of a large fortune. And very recently the following paragraph appeared in the city papers. There has been quite a stir recently in this city, in consequence of a marriage of a white man named Buddington, a teller in the Canal Bank, to the Negro daughter of one of the wealthiest merchants. 
Buddington, before he could be married, was obliged to swear that he had negro blood in his veins, and to do this he made an incision in his arm and put some of her blood in the cut. The ceremony was performed by a Catholic clergyman, and the bridegroom has received with his wife a fortune of fifty or sixty thousand dollars. It seems that the fifty or sixty thousand dollars entirely covered the negro woman's black skin, and the law prohibiting marriage between blacks and whites was laid aside for the occasion. Althesa felt proud, as well she might, at her husband's taking such high ground in a slaveholding city like New Orleans. End of chapter 20